You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. It is Monday, June 6, 2022. How you doing, Christina Dennis? I'm doing wonderful, Damon Frank. Monday fun day, right? We get a we do-over. love Mondays at Recovered Life. You know, we always do our uh, this week in sobriety thing together mm-hmm. on uh, the Recovered Life discussion. So, guys, join us there if you're not doing that on Clubhouse. Uh, but I do. I love Mondays uh, because it. You know, well, let me get, let, let's be honest about this. Actually, okay, I love Mondays for the opportunity that I could, I have another week, right? In recovery. But sometimes I feel like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And and that's why that recovered life discussion is so awesome because we get to set our intentions. So it isn't here we go again. It it is like, oh, I have things to look forward to. I, I love it. I really do. I used to think people were full of it when they said they love Mondays, but the more I change my perspective, the more I stay in gratitude, the happier I am. Absolutely. You know what? Gratitude is what it's all about. I'm grateful that I'm here with you today. We've got a great show Aww. ahead of us. We're going to be talking about healthy and unhealthy dependency and recovery. So hold tight. We're going to dive into that in just a second. Before we do that, I want to tell everybody, please like, share, follow, leave us a comment on the show. Make sure you join the Recovered Life community over at recoveredlife.us. We are having a lot of fun over there and we want you to join us. And I love this topic. I do too. (laughs) This is one of my favorite ones. And I think sometimes it can get lost when we're maintaining just physical sobriety. And, you know, the, the, topic is unhealthy and healthy dependence on in recovery. And boy, do I love some of the confusion around that, right? Um, Have you ever had a relationship with enmeshment, Damon? Tell the truth. Yes, absolutely. You know, know, several times. And you know, it's a very tricky thing because like you say that everybody who is in recovery Everybody who is in recovery uh, doesn't realize that they're probably a codependent when they first get in. And of course, all codependents, I think, have a problem with enmeshment, wouldn't you say? Everyone. And it's so prevalent in our relationship. And let me just define enmeshment. So enmeshment means that you are connected at a level that you don't have any autonomy yourself. And that's a fancy way of saying that you think that what other people do or don't do affects you at a level that you can't operate, right? Codependency means that we as codependents, and as I've said before, whether you like it or not, I've never met somebody with a substance abuse disorder that didn't have codependent relationships. And we codependents in our desire, desire to be accepted and loved, end up you know, not having good boundaries with people. And we really believe that if we give them their needs, if we put other people's needs ahead of our own, we'll feel that safety. Yeah. Yeah. That is, you know what? I think it's just to jump in here. I think people are like, what the hell is enmeshment? That's why I put unhealthy and healthy dependence. Because the thing is, is that what you find in recovery, a lot of the times people come in 
and they've had a lot of chances, right? They've had one chance after another chance and they, and a lot of it is because of codependent people in their life. You see this with, especially guys in their twenties. I've seen this a lot where their parents have written the ticket, right? They've written the check to be able to drink and use the way that they want to. And now that they're sober and they could maybe get a job or they could go back to school or they could do something. They're choosing not to do it because of this dependent relationship. It's this enmeshment. Yes. This unhealthy enmeshment. Well, and this very loving family uh, around them is afraid to put pressure on them because they're afraid they may relapse. And I'm telling you, in order to have true sobriety, in order to have true recovery in your life, you have to rely on yourself. Yes, connection is important. You know, we did a show last week where we talked about connection being one of the cornerstones for relapse prevention. But if you depend on other people to take care of you, you know, pay your bills or make excuses for you or, you know, fill in the blanks that have happened, you are not in a stable situation. You'll never feel like you completely belong. And I mean, Codependents show up in all kinds of various forms. They can be, you know, most often it's the the crazy girlfriend or the overbearing mother. But they, but it shows up in men as 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 often as it does in women. It's just a different way that it presents itself. Well, I would say this too is that I think women have an unfair. They they've been. How, how can I say this? They, they've really been kind of unfairly accused of being the ones that are always codependent. Right. Uh, you see this in guys with the rescuer syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to make sure that everything is okay. I'm going to swoop in here at the end. I can fix it. The always the being the fixer, right? That's codependency too. And, you know, I, I love what you said. I'd like to dive into this a little bit because I know you deal with the family unit a lot, right. especially in your interventionist work. And, you know, I think the complicated thing is, is where do you step in as a family member? Where do you give support? I think it is crucial that the family's involved. And I do think that sometimes it is about writing a check and it's about allowing the person to be able to have time or live in your home or do whatever to really unpack what's been going on with them and to be able to gain some sobriety. Absolutely it is. And, you know, when I deal with a formal intervention, the whole family is involved and there's a plan put in place. And if you love somebody who is drinking alcoholically, it's important to know that the brain that they are operating out of is not really online, you know, that they don't really have access to some of the prefrontal cortex that they need. They can't see themselves as alcoholic. They don't see that alcohol is killing them, or maybe they do, and they can't think that there's another way out of it. And so it's very important for a family to rally around uh, a person who needs extra help. It's important for the family to take their hopefully good working brains to figure out what's the best facility for this person. It's important for the family to have boundaries about Mm -hmm. if you do not enter into a program of recovery, I can no longer have my children around you or I will no longer pay your rent. And those are really important boundaries. But 
in the beginning, it's the love and the willingness of the family to focus on not only what the patient needs, but also what they need, because it is, it is a family disease. There are things that have occurred in that home, even with the best of intentions, that have set it up so that this person could continue to drink themselves to death. Well, shocking. No, codependents need the alcoholic to get sober and to control them. Their yes. behavior just as much as the alcoholic needs the drink, right? So exactly. these go hand in hand. And I think the thing is, is that the big epiphany, I think, for a lot of people who enable and that are too, they, they offer too much dependence, especially parents. I see this all the time. And I think as parents, I, as a parent, I totally get it. I would not want to yeah. see my kids suffer at all. My parents didn't want to see me suffer when I went through right. it, but there is a line, right? Like where the patient has to help themselves. Like, you know, there's a big meme going on in Pinterest right now. It's like, uh, you know, about weak men about, uh, you know, when they say men, they just mean manhood. Like they just mean people in general, right? Okay. It's about hard, you know, about, about soft times make soft men, hard times make hard men. Right. Like, so like people who can actually do it. The thing is, is that if you never allow the person to be able to step up and to fail and to create their own fortitude, I'm just going to use the word fortitude, that they can do it. What you're really doing is you're putting all these strings on how the person's going to be able to stay sober and what yes. they're actually going to be able to do in their in, in their life. And that's much smaller than if they were able to take accountability for their own actions step up and start working on their own recovery plan. Well, and I think that's healthy. Uh, that's a healthy connection and a healthy relationship. You know, you can't prepare the path for the child. You have to prepare the child for the path. And the term that that pops into my head when you describe this kind of relationship is we're actually teaching learned helplessness right? We're actually telling this person with our codependent patterns and our codependent, you know, manipulation that they somehow are not up to the task, that they don't have what it takes to become a, a grown-up, a person who actually is able to handle life on life's terms. And these failures, these mistakes are really exactly what that person needs in order to grow their self-confidence. Yeah and to connect with the people that can actually help them. Yeah. You know what I called it, you know, I see this so much, you know, I really focus on high performance mm -hmm. coaching. I do a lot of stuff for people, business people and things like that. And, you know, what I found is somebody said, well, you know what? It's so much easier for people with a higher net worth or celebrities oh. or whatever to stay sober. I'm like, that's BS. It's harder for them to stay sober. And the reason why is because they have options. And yes. the thing is, is that they have way too many options, right? And so the problem is the truth, what I call the truth with the capital T, it's like, you can't stop drinking. Like you could say right. all this other stuff, but at the end of the day, you can't stay sober, right? That's much more apparent if you don't have resources in a support group. Right. Because you end up on the street, whereas yes. <laughs> opposed to, you know, whereas opposed to a celebrity or somebody who's a high net worth, they have a longer burn factor where they can manufacture bringing people in their life that depend on them financially or they depend on them right. Right, to be able to prop up an illusion that they can drink like other people. 
Right. And they fill in the blanks. They don't let us, us alcoholics, suffer from natural consequences that would give us the indication that this is a problem. You know, we, the more we learn about alcohol, the more we realize that even moderate drinking is not healthy for the person. And so, you know, I think that will come a point in time where, you know, and this might shock people, but they'll look at drinking like we look at smoking now, where we understand that it's actually quite dangerous for the human body to consume gasoline, basically. But there is something about the culture of drinking and that, that desire as a family member or a good codependent to not let the person fall. And it's because we're trying to protect our own pain. Like you said, it's painful mm. to watch somebody suffer. So we can't deal with our own pain. So we go in and we fix things so that that person doesn't have the opportunity to grow into who they can become. Yes. Giving people the dignity to be able to fail yes. on their own terms, right? To be able to learn on their own terms is it's destructive, you know, and I've realized in my life where I've done that, you know, I mm -hmm. was telling in past episodes that I had business relationships where I would prop up uh, yep. a, a certain person I had for years, I would prop them up. And what I was, what was really happening is it was to myself, I was trying to make myself feel good, but right. really that was a destructive thing. I should have never have let that happen because it went beyond the boundaries of what really was healthy. Well, and it is a lack of acceptance, isn't it? And, you know, if you are the person who has a strong codependent relationship in your life, you recognize inside, perhaps deep, that in order for your mother, your husband, your your, um, you know, coworker to feel good, you have to perform in a certain way. And that's called manipulation. And what mm -hmm. we talk about healthy dependency is an interdependent relationship. It's where each person yeah. is whole, and then you form a third entity that is the relationship. And that is really what we need to shoot for. You know, I, I'm going to get on a little soapbox here, Damon, and I know part of your history is uh, has to do with the entertainment business, but we do such a disservice when we romance codependency. Oh, and, big time. That's yeah. what it's all about with it. Well, look, Hallmark built a whole channel around codependency. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I don't mean to sound so like boom, boom, boom. It's so bad. And, and look, I don't want to, I don't want to offend any woman who's over the age of 35. Uh, it's not the Hallmark channel's fault. So we're not, no. we, we love no. the Hallmark channel. It sells, it sells. I mean, it's in the Star Wars movies too. It's in all of the places that this is what a healthy relationship is. This is what romance is. You know, that very famous line, you complete me, you know, from that one movie uh, kind of gives me the cringes. And my hope is that we continue to talk about codependency and interdependency. And we start to teach our children as well as ourselves that we can go out and have a relationship where we know where we end and the other person begins.
So good. Mm-hmm. Christina, before we move on to actually more details about enmeshment mm-hmm. and healthy and unhealthy dependence, because there's way more to talk about here, I want to mention something really quick. I want to reco- mention recovery breakthrough. Guys, if you are trying to get sober or you're a constant relapser and you're just really trying to regain sobriety or you have years of sobriety, but really need to take your plan to the next level. Recovery breakthrough might be for you. Find out how you can work with Christina and I on a six-week intensive coaching program. You can find out more about Recovery Breakthrough and everything it will offer you by going to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. Christina, getting back to this intermeshment, what are some of the signs that people see when they might be in a, a, a really unhealthy dependent relationship. Sure. Well, when you start believing that how another person acts is a direct reflection on you, you are in an enmeshed relationship. When somebody has to behave a certain way for you to feel good, you're in a codependent relationship. And one of the hardest codependent relationships is parent-child. You know, it is parent child because we are our jobs are to help that person be formed. Our job is to help them gain certain, you know, strengths and the ability and to operate in a world as an individual. And it can be like completely squishy, you know, like what is what is sobriety and codependency or what is recovery and codependency? And it it is about learning how to put your needs first learning the language around checking in with yourself and saying, do I have, what am I doing today that's going to take care of me so that I can be the best person I'm supposed to be and I can show up in this relationship? If you're always worried about what that other person is doing, how they're going to act, what are they going to say? And thinking that because somebody doesn't know how to act in a crowd or makes a mistake, you know, or is overbearing and you're always trying to curtail their behavior, you're probably enmeshed. Yes. Yes. I love that. And, you know, I think the key is, is that what do you do? You know, because this is, this is what happens. I think as we get sober, we -hmm. realize it's like, Ooh, this relationship probably isn't the healthy, right? Or this is like a lot of entanglements in it. Like, and so you're trying to, the process of getting sober is also the process of cleaning things up, right? It really is. It's about like, how do I clean up my side of the street too, as you go through the immense process? What's one of the things that you can do to help not get in these or to clean these up? I mean, I'm going to throw out one that I knew, like, you know, I had a great relationship with my mom and mm-hmm. when I got sober, they were shocked. I'm going to be honest with you. They were shocked. They didn't, they had no idea I was good at hiding. They they had wow. no idea that it had gone this bad, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I needed to do was not have them save me. So I needed a little distance between them. And I think that they maybe took offense to that by a little bit, gotcha. but I needed to take a little, like I needed to put up a little bit of a, a boundary is to say, no, you know what? I'm going to focus on this myself. I'm going to do what I need to be able to do to get sober and to be able to stay sober long-term. And yeah, I'm having a relationship with you, but you, but my relationship is not really about you saving me. It's about me saving myself, right? Yes. 
Yes. And you, and you cheering as I do that, you know, every relationship when you enter in recovery is going to change. And the more that your loved ones also look into recovery programs for them and support groups, the better everybody is going to be. So it's an understanding, which is really, really scary for let's say a loved one when their person starts to become sober. It may be the very thing that they wanted all along, but then this person's a little different and they're like, wait a minute, I didn't know that you were going to have feelings and I didn't know that you were going to be angry and that things were gonna bother you all of a sudden. So it is that that B word, the boundaries that you set for yourself, your own time, and you set within the relationship, which is I can listen to what you have to say without getting emotionally involved to the point that I can't operate. Yep, absolutely. And you know, where we see this a lot too is the whole dating thing. And I think this is one of the reasons why getting into long-term relationships in the first year or so of recovery is such a bad idea because right? it's there. I, I believe that people are like magnets to herself. Like of course. it's more about trauma bonding a lot of the times uh, than it is an actual relationship, right? Oh, it so is. And this is, I'm really glad you brought this up because a lot of times when I work with couples, it's really easy to think that this is their problem. And if they just got sober, everything would be okay. This is, this is because of their actions. And what I tell every couple is, no, 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 no. You have just as much trauma. You have the same issues, maybe just the flip side of them, you know, the flip side of the coin of control and not accepting life and thinking that this person has to behave a certain way. You're actually probably acting out without the crazy juice. So this idea that you think that this is about them is, is where we get into, you know, shaky ground. Anybody who's in a relationship with an alcoholic needs to look at their own behaviors as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that the key is it's so important to have people in your life that can help you walk through this, right? Because the thing is that I found what's very evident about alcoholism and drug addiction is you're taking a drug Mm -hmm. or you're coming off of a drug or alcohol. With codependency, it's a little trickier. Yeah, because we don't if you don't have good boundaries and maybe you come from a home that had codependency or dysfunction or alcoholism, it's it's kind of hardwired into you. So you mentioned Hollywood like you complete me and all this Mm -hmm. stuff like, you know, to somebody, to many people, that's going to sound very healthy. Oh, how romantic, how great. That's how relationships are going to be. That's that's hell. You know, if you need somebody else to make you a full person you probably shouldn't be married or dating to them, right? Dating anyone, them, right? Like anyone. anyone, like now, and and people who have gone through recovery, listen to that and they're horrified. But many people who are don't identify as alcoholics uh, will listen to that and think that is so romantic. Right, right. I still remember the Twilight series and taking uh, a friend's daughter who was 13 and there was a line in the movie where he said, you're like heroin to me. And she thought that was the most romantic thing. I mean, she literally repeated it to me. And I was like, no, that's not truth. That is not truth. <laughs> that is wrong. That is not okay. But, you know, I still like a good romance. It's this idea that 
somebody else is going to fill us up or make us a whole person. You know, that really where we go wrong. We have to be able to be whole on ourselves and we cannot expect somebody else to make us feel okay. I'll, I'll give you a, a flip side, a male kind of version of this, where I've worked with clients before that said, I'm not okay until I make that phone call to my wife and she's okay, then I know I can be okay. It's not his wife's job to make him feel okay. It's his job. And the other person, the one who maybe is having a bad day, has the right to have a bad day. And that's very tricky to kind of sift through. So what I always tell people is you start focusing on your needs. Not a selfish, not in a selfish way, not above other people's needs, but you start taking as much time as you would uh, focusing on how you can be helpful to somebody else and start doing it for yourself. You make it Absolutely. your responsibility. It's your responsibility. Well, you know what? I, I, you know, one of the things that I always see is it's a total warning sign that there's some weird, unhealthy dependency is mm -hmm. that when people won't put on their own life jacket, before mm. they put on the life jacket of someone else. And right. you'll see this and you know, and I got to say, <laughs> you'll see this in moms a lot. Where they'll much. go, no, I could, I could never do that. Even if I had the time and money, I could never do that because I have to do this first. Right. And the thing is, is it's super unhealthy. And what you're really teaching the kids and what you're really teaching the people around you is how you wish to be treated by the way that you treat yourself. Right. And this is something that I've learned, right? Like give people the dignity also to be able to be independent and make their own decisions. Absolutely. That's the difference between taking a hostage and someone volunteering to be in relationship with you. Uh, you know, I, I have to say in my own recovery, in sobriety, in physical sobriety, I had a habit of taking hostages in relationships, which means that I would grab onto them. I would supply all of their needs. I'd twist myself inside out to be attractive and accepted by this person because I had a huge fear of abandonment. And then I would be resentful at them because I was doing all these things. And didn't they know, didn't they know that I was giving myself 100% to this person? They didn't ask for that. I mean, look, yeah. there are some relationships where you have a narcissist and we've done shows about narcissists and codependence and how dangerous that can be. Talk about trauma bonding. But in most cases, a healthy person will will understand that they're being asked to do something that they never wanted to do. You know, it's this right. invisible contract. Yep, absolutely right. Guys, this is such a great topic to dive into, especially if you've got a year or two under your belt, right, of yes. recovery. And you're really looking at how to make your best recovered life finding out where you might be codependent, finding out these healthy and unhealthy dependent relationships in your life, sifting through these, taking action on them is what it's all about. You know, Christina, I want to mention here before we end the episode about recovered life discussions. We've got four amazing discussions that you can jump into. I know that people listen to the podcast. We replay them here on the podcast and they're wondering, 
Damon, Christina, how can I be a part of this really great group? Well, listen, guys, we meet on Clubhouse every Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. We've got all different kinds of discussions, and you can find out all the details by going to recoveredlife.us. If you go to recoveredlife.us, you'll see the whole schedule of all the different shows and content we create and how you can participate. Christina Dennis, final thoughts on these codependent, healthy, and unhealthy relationships. It's worth it. It's worth it to do the work. When you show up authentically you and somebody returns their the favor by showing up as authentically them, you can have a real relationship. Absolutely. Guys, Monday, June 6, 2022, this episode is in the can. We'll see you next week or next time on The Recovered Life Show. Thanks so much. All right. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.